0: Why would a jilted man gun down his ex-girlfriend and two others? About one-third of female murder victims are killed by their intimate partners. And on January 3rd, 2003, that's just what happens to Carl Knapp's girlfriend, Jane. Did you see who shot her?
1: Mm, uh, It was, it, yes I did. I, I had the gun when the gun went off.
0: You had the gun when the gun went yeah. off. It was
1: you who yes, shot. Yes, I, I and had the gun.
0: My name is Dr. Michelle Ward. I'm a criminal psychologist and trial consultant. I've spent my career researching hundreds of murder cases to determine what drives someone to kill. Because the more we understand about criminal behavior, the better chance we have at preventing it in the future. When Investigation Discovery asked me to go behind prison walls to talk face-to-face with six violent killers, I had no hesitation in saying yes. Most crime shows are whodunnits, but this is different. I want to know why they committed their crimes and go inside the mind of a murderer. It's the year 2000 and Jane Johnston is a single mother of 3 living in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Things have been difficult since her divorce, but she's making the most of it for her children. Here is her daughter Leslie.
2: My mom would absolutely light up the room. People thought she was really funny and she's very laid back and loving. At 40 years old, Jane is not
0: ready to give up on finding Mr. Right, so she gets back in the dating scene and reconnects with this childhood friend named Carl Knapp. He's a bad boy with a sexy aura of mystery and danger.
2: Here's her daughter again. I think that Carl really cared about her and he made her smile. And I could tell that she was happy in the beginning.
0: But it's a tumultuous relationship. They date on and off for two and a half years before finally breaking up. Then, on January 3rd, 2003, after stalking her, Carl Knapp guns Jane down along with two other innocent people. He is sentenced to 76 years for first-degree murder. Carl has been in lockup for 11 years in a medium-security state prison in Lee County, New Mexico, and I've gotten permission to meet with him face-to-face. So we get to the interview room, and Carl is now 60 years old, and rather than looking like a spree murderer, he kind of looks like Grandpa. How
1: are you? I'm well. I'm Michelle. Carl, oh, how's
0: He does have this wolfish grin that breaks out when he's nervous. But other than that, it looks like somebody you might have a holiday with. Why did you want to do this interview?
1: Um, The main reason I thought, I'm, I'm not a murderer. That's mm-hmm. all there is to it.
0: Carl believes if he got his story out there, his conviction would be overturned. But he's definitely not innocent. This is a well-documented crime with over 20 witnesses. People saw him there. They, they say they saw him pull the trigger. So now I not only need to figure out how this seemingly nice guy turned into a murderer, but also how he can possibly deny it. Has he had a psychotic break? Is he delusional? Or does he just really not remember? From what I know about Carl's backstory, he grows up in what you might describe as a fairly normal family, But it is the 60s, and he experiments with some pretty heavy psychedelic drugs from an early age.
1: I experiment a lot with LSD, psilocybin, stuff like that. I went to uh, five different high schools my sophomore year and got kicked out of every one of them.
0: Carl is no peaceful hippie. You'd have to be pretty unruly to get kicked out of that many schools i venture to guess that Carl has difficulty controlling his temper, and he certainly lacks a healthy fear of authority to keep him in line. And we know that causes problems for him later. I learned that he spends most of his time racing around on his motorcycle. Time and time again, he gets into awful crashes. Did you ever have any head trauma, head injuries?
1: Yes, I did. I've been run over three different times on a motorcycle, all by drunk drivers. First time, I had a skull fracture. I went to surgery, and then when I came out, I was laying there one time when I was coming to, so I rolled over, and then when my ear popped, I reached in there and looked, and it was all blood all over the the pillow. How old were you? um, I was in ninth grade, probably. The
0: research is very clear that Traumatic brain injuries are a risk factor for violent behavior. One of the areas that can be damaged is called the prefrontal cortex, and it's located right behind your forehead. And damage to that area can lead to an inability to control impulses. So it's no coincidence that we see high instances of this kind of brain damage in prison inmates. This, along with Carl's drug abuse, is a recipe for disaster. Carl's reckless behavior only escalates. He eventually drops out of school and gets into even harder drugs like meth and cocaine. I've read police reports that indicate he was arrested multiple times in the years that followed. By the time he's 45 years old, he has a really long rap sheet.
1: Actually, I, I had a lot of search warrant served on me and everything. In uh, New Mexico, if you move every three months, like if they start a drug case on you, if you move before six months... They they have to start a whole, they have to start all over from scratch. Oh, okay. So if you keep moving and moving and moving all the time, they can never come. I've, I had like five or six search warrants
0: served on me at one time. To him, the threat of the police is just a nuisance. It's not going to stop him. And based on what I know so far, I'm thinking he doesn't have a ton of self-control either, meaning that even if he wanted to stop, he probably couldn't. In the early 2000s, Carl is riding his motorcycle when he reconnects with Jane Johnston, who he hasn't seen since high school. When did you start dating?
1: I came by one day and she wanted, always wanted to ride. I said, you want to go for a ride? She said, yes. We took off and we went to a whole bunch of old bars and we came home at two o'clock in the morning. We'd been drinking all, all day and all night. I said, you made me drive all the way home. She says, you can't say My kids are here. They got to get them to go to school. So, so she wasn't going to gonna
0: let anything happen that so first
1: night. I went to sleep on the couch.
2: Yeah.
1: I stayed there that night and I never left.
2: I would say my mom fell for Carl very quickly. When they were around in our home, she she was laughing in the beginning.
0: From the research I've done, I know that Jane has been trying to kick a drug habit for years. Any hope of sobriety goes out the window when he starts feeding her meth addiction. The pretext is the relationship, but what's really going on here is they share a very serious drug habit. So Jane becomes dangerously dependent on Carl and his supply. Was there was there any part of your relationship with Jane that was not fueled by drugs at some point?
1: Um, we had some good times when we weren't doing when we weren't yeah. doing drugs, but most of the time it was always it was always about drugs. Okay. Met them me. That was her drug of choice.
0: Carl gets what I call meth muscles. The drug makes him feel all powerful and controlling, and he enjoys making Jane submissive.
1: It's good while you're doing them, but when you run out and when you're when you come down, the come down is this, you know, it, it's like everybody wants to kill everybody.
0: When he's coming down off of meth, he's angry at the world, he's pushing back violent impulses, but that's kind of how everybody feels. They say that the comedown from crystal meth is longer and more severe than cocaine withdrawal. Crystal meth has been known to even cause psychosis. But when they get high again, everything is fine. And that's the cycle of drug addiction. Leslie describes one example of Carl's rage and his roller coaster relationship with her mom. He had torn
2: the antenna off my truck and threw it at my mom and he called me awful names and he went into my mom's bedroom and said, do you want to know what your mom's been doing while you've been at school? He took three bags of cocaine and out of a drawer in her room and threw them at me and he left. And my mom was just crying. and She said, Leslie, I am so sorry. I never ever want you to ever be around anything like that. It's over, it's done. And I went to school and i came back and they were in bed just laughing and giggling and as if nothing had happened and i left
0: the cycle continues for months and they have these increasingly terrible fights when they're coming down i've read that a lot of these fights are over his jealousy specifically carl feels threatened by her ex-husband rick
1: basically it was a lot of that because he didn't want he didn't want me around he came one time. We were at a friend of theirs house. He came and tore up, tore up my motorcycle with a with a crowbar and stuff. First thing she did, though, she wanted me to get a gun. I said, "What do we need a gun for?"
0: He's trying to play it off like getting a gun is Jane's idea. There's absolutely no evidence for any of this. There's no evidence that Rick ever smashed Carl's motorcycle or that Jane bought a gun to protect herself against Rick. So maybe Carl's just lying, or it's possible he had a psychotic break. The name is misleading. It makes it sound like somebody has a break instantly, but in reality, psychotic breaks can take place over a long period of time. These symptoms can come on slowly, where the person functions normally and hasn't completely lost touch, but has these moments of delusions and paranoia sprinkled in. This could be a side effect of long-term meth use or even brain damage from the motorcycle accident. Or both. Her family says that they often saw Jane covered in bruises, obviously beaten up. Did you ever hit her?
1: People that pushed her down, that's the only time I ever, ever did anything to her.
0: Here's what Jane's daughter Leslie has to say about that.
2: The idea that Carl only pushed her once is ridiculous. I think, I mean, it upsets me because it's a huge lie. My mom would try to hide A lot of what happened, but I definitely saw bruises on her her arms from him grabbing her. Many times he would pull her by her hair. One day, Jane finally breaks up with him.
0: But Carl apologizes and buys her flowers, and she goes back to him. I've seen this pattern too many times in abusive relationships. Here's Leslie again.
2: I think that she wanted to believe that there was good in him. He's very dangerous, and he is also very charming. And those two together, just a recipe for disaster.
0: The relationship continues, but it's unstable. They break up and get back together over and over again. When his typical tricks for luring her back don't work, he becomes absolutely enraged. He's beside himself. He begins stalking her. He calls her incessantly. Then he begins threatening her saying his face is the last thing she'll see before he kills her. And he extends that threat to everyone she cares about.
2: He would threaten that he would come after us or my stepdad. My mom was afraid that Carl would hurt one of us. This is emotional blackmail. Carl looks at the people
0: in Jane's life as simple obstacles standing in the way of he and Jane being together. And when the threats don't work, he slashes her car tires. And when that doesn't get her attention, he tries to run her off the road. What happened that pushed this?
1: Okay, now this is what the deal is. She took off and I followed her up the road. I chased her up the road and mm-hmm. what happened. And she got to a red light. I thought she was going to run through the red light, but she slammed on the brakes. And my mom had uh, took that anti-lock brake thing off of her brakes. So I slid and I ran in the back of her car.
0: Carl won't own up to hitting her deliberately, but I know Jane was so terrified that she filed for a restraining order against him. For Jane, this is a real turning point. She sees he's capable of making good on these threats.
1: She said, yeah, that there was domestic violence in there and everything, and she was, she was injured or whatever. But that
0: had to make you mad.
1: Um, that one kind of, yeah. It was weird because it was usually somebody else wanting her, either her sister or her husband or somebody else wanting her to put these restraining orders on me.
0: Jane lets Carl know this breakup is different and permanent. But Carl, who sees Jane as his possession, can't accept that she's no longer his. Did she tell you it was over? Huh? No. No. Well,
1: no. She didn't tell me then it was over. But I mean, this is like a hundred times, you know, we've gone through this thing over and over and over.
0: In Carl's mind, this is just another one of their fights. And eventually, she will come back just like she has before. But this time is different. January 3rd, 2003. It's early morning, and Jane's already at work. The phone is ringing off the hook. Carl's calling from a bar. He's drunk, and his brain is a scrambled mess as he's coming down from a meth binge. Here's a recording of just one of his calls. want to you. I don't want to go down there and make no dead scenes or nothing. Jane's co-workers rally around her and block his calls. Carl continues pounding drinks and calling. As the day wears on, the calls get more desperate and threatening. Here's Jane's sister, Susan. Jane had called me from her work. You know, she was kind of scared. At 4 p.m., he arrives at her office, holding a gun. Jane's sister thinks that as soon as Jane saw the gun her worst fear was confirmed. This was it. Carl was here to kill her. She's running for her life. She knew. She knew. Jane bolts from her desk as Carl walks in the front door. The first person he sees is Jane's boss, Steve Goodwin, sitting at his desk. Before he can react, Carl raises his gun and shoots him dead. As Carl stalks through the facility looking for Jane, employees run and dive for cover. But Jane runs out the back door of the warehouse to hide inside a neighboring business. She's desperately trying to escape, but he's not going to stop until he finds her. Carl follows Jane and shoots her dead. Greg McGuire, an employee, steps in his way, and Carl fires straight into his chest, killing him instantly. Maybe Greg was trying to stop Carl. We'll never know. Here's a recording from a nine one one call. I just heard another shot. That's like the sixth one. What'd you say the name of the man was? Carl.
1: Apparently, he's the ex boyfriend of the woman who was shot.
0: As we know, Carl's version of what happened contradicts virtually every witness account and police report from that day. What's going on here? Is he delusional or is he lying? Right. Are you on meth this day? Um, I'd
1: done some the, day, like the whole day before that.
0: So you're either still high or you're coming yeah, down?
1: Yeah, yeah. Plus I've been drinking all day long too.
0: You're calling her while she's at work? Yeah, she's at work. How many times did you call? Um,
1: I would say probably six times maybe. Total? Total For that day? Yeah.
0: We have all these transcripts that you called 50 times. Yes, yeah. Uh-oh. That's not true.
1: They're saying I called, all, you know, 50, 60, right. 70, and it's all bullshit. I never called that many
0: times. Carl says he didn't show up at Jane's workplace with a gun. He just wanted a ride.
1: I had called Jane earlier and told her I was going to go up and get a haircut.
0: Then he says he saw her ex-husband Rick Johnston run into the building with a gun in his hand.
1: I heard a gunshot. The minute I heard that gunshot go okay. off, the first thing I'm thinking is Rick's there. And Rick's there with a gun.
0: You're thinking so that James Jane John Johnston's ex-husband is, is there, there with a gun. Yeah. What does Rick have to do with this? I mean, you walked in and, and, and you're not denying that. Rick
1: was wanting to kill us for the, for the whole time we were together.
0: There are over 20 witnesses. Not one person saw Rick there that day. Why are these witnesses saying you are shooting these people if you're not shooting these people? No one ever seen me shoot anybody. His thoughts are disorganized and he's jumping all over the place. Carl admits that he did chase Jane into the next building, but implies it was to protect her, not to kill her. When he caught up to her, he says someone grabbed him.
1: He had me by the collar and jerked me clear off the feet and the gun goes off.
0: Did you see who shot her?
1: Mm, uh, it was, it, yes I did. I, I had the gun when the gun went off.
0: You had the gun when the gun went off. Okay. Although accidental, it was you who shot. Yes, I had the gun. You You didn't commit this crime?
1: I never said I didn't commit the crimes. I never murdered anybody.
0: This is Carl's version of a confession. He's characterizing Jane's death as an accident, and he won't take responsibility for the other two deaths at all. In fact, he believes Steve Goodwin was shot by somebody else and Greg McGuire and Jane Johnston were killed accidentally. But he killed three people. And though I know it's a long shot, I'm going to try to make one last attempt to get him to take responsibility for it. There's a motive. She broke up with you. You're upset about it. You don't know what to do. Like...
1: If Jane was here, if Jane could tell you, it wasn't nothing like that. Okay. It wasn't nothing like that. It
0: was not this feeling of rage. I need no, to
1: have her back. No, 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 no. There was no rage or nothing in it.
0: Would you believe you if you were me? Um, I don't know. Multiple witnesses claim Carl commits the murders and then runs into a nearby pawn shop. A SWAT team arrives, but Carl will not come out. A three-hour standoff follows. What he tells me next gives me even more insight into his state of mind.
1: I saw Jane come in the pawn shop with me.
0: You thought you saw her physically walk in with no, you?
1: No, not physically walk in. Okay. I saw her spirit come in.
0: It sounds to me like a hallucination, which confirms that Carl may have been in the throes of a psychotic break that day. When it's finally over, Carl is found with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the chest. Would you bring me to the pawn shop? I wanted to know exactly what happens.
1: I turned the gun and turned around and shot myself in the heart. Why did you shoot yourself? You know, I mean, this is a bad situation. You know, and pulled, you know, I didn't know what else to do.
0: This is probably Carl's greatest moment of clarity in the interview. Perhaps there was a flash of realization and remorse about killing two people and his beloved Jane. But more likely, he knew there was no escape, and he shot himself in a moment of panic. Carl is charged with three counts of first-degree murder and brought to trial in July of 2004. Here's Jane's sister, Susan. He destroyed a lot of lives.
1: They were all innocent bystanders.
0: Carl's defense team claims that it wasn't premeditated. He was incapacitated by drugs and alcohol, and it was a crime of passion.  — I agree to a point. Even though he had a gun, I don't think he's capable of planning anything, let alone a murder. But the jury doesn't buy the defense. He's found guilty of first-degree murder. — This whole
1: thing is, um, it's just crazy, you know, the way this whole thing played out. They, They wouldn't even let me testify at my own trial. They wouldn't even give me an attorney for my appeal. So then I'm thinking, somebody's going to pick this thing up and look at it, and I'm going to get a fair shot on this thing, and I'll get out.
0: And so that's your hope? Yeah. It's clear to me now why Carl wanted to do this interview. Carl doesn't feel like a violent, aggressive person, and he certainly doesn't think of himself as a murderer.
1: I should have played the case myself, because I, I could have beat the case by myself in court if I would have just played it myself.
0: But he can't reconcile how he feels now with the rage-filled maniac he was that day, so he tells the story in the only way it makes sense to him. I'd like to know if he feels any remorse, especially for the woman he says he loved. Do you miss her?
1: I I think about Jane every day. Do you think she deserved to die? No, no, no way did she deserve to die. Neither did. He He didn't deserve to die. Steve did. Steve? didn't deserve to die.
0: I see you getting emotional
1: right My whole life has been crazy. Tell me what you're feeling. It's a bad thing, you know. What do you do? This is not something that just goes away. I'm not a, you know, like I said, I'm not a murderer. No. You know, I'm a regular person, you know? I'm not, uh, Yeah. I'm a really nice guy, really, if you get to know me.
2: We miss her every day, and even though... She wasn't her normal self with Carl, we know who she was. She was this light in everyone's life who just brought smiles to people's faces, or was the hug you needed, or made your birthday feel special, or tell you that it was going to be okay.
0: Carl Knapp doesn't appear to be very dangerous today, as he's older, sitting in jail, and sober. But that day, he was an absolute mess, and there were lots of influences happening, all of which were basically his fault. Frankly after this interview I was worried about saying hey people in psychosis are dangerous. There is a huge movement by civil liberties unions to not label people with mental disorders as dangerous and I understand why but on the other hand we can't deny the fact that people in the midst of psychosis can be and often are dangerous. Join me on the next podcast, where I'll take you to meet Willie Trotty, who opened fire inside his girlfriend's family's home, killing her and her brother. Stay tuned. For Atlas Media, the producers are Bruce David Klein, Lori Layton, Fanny Cohen, and Samantha Grogan. For Investigation Discovery, the producers are Liz Massey, Jamie Lane, Christina Douglas, and Sarah Kozak. Kevin Bennett is general manager, and Henry Schleif is the network president. I'm Dr. Michelle Ward.